0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions,
1: and updates across the world of wrestling. To the
0: highway, in a brand new
1: day, gotta let it go, so fight. The a- Fast to to down, down. down. down.
2: I'm me- in back to Open the Voice Gate, Rewind and Rewatch Episode 24, covering Untouchable 2011 from Chicago, Illinois at the Congress Theater on September 10th, 2011. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to give a donation to the show, it's certainly not required, but it'd be greatly appreciated. Just click the link in the show notes. It will take you to red circle where you will hit the red button that says sponsor the show. You can do a one time or reoccurring donation. And again, anything would be appreciated, not required. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Aaron Mike Spears. And I'm joined as always by case low in case we are now getting to a point where we're back in Chicago only for like the first time this year. And it feels like it's been so long since dragon gate USA has been back at the Congress theater.
0: You know what's nice? We're we're back in Chicago in Drangate USA, and this is the first rewind and rewatch show that I have done in Chicago. We started this series when I moved back to Indiana for COVID concerns. Uh, we uh, are, are I am now back in Chicago. S- school year about to start. Happy to be here, and we are back in the Congress Theater. You're right, a, a venue that we haven't visited since Brian Danielson was on the shows. We are now back, and it feels like a completely different universe than the show that we, the, we previously watched from this building.
2: Yeah, like this is, this, like this weekend, like we've always talked about, like, when is this going to get to the Dragon Gate USA that, like, we more recognize later on. We, we are now pretty much fully in that as well. This is an interesting time, both in Dragon Gate USA, but it's also an incredible time in DGUS and Dragon Gate proper. So over in Japan, uh, last week, we caught ourselves up to the big events that were happening. We, we focused a little bit on Kobe World, but there was a lot of stuff that happened beforehand. We also talked about the 6-8 Korkin, but that's, that was in the middle of June. There's a lot of stuff that went on between June and September in Dragon Gate.
0: Yeah, so last week, we talked about all of the title changes that occurred in Japan, as well as the 6-8 Korkin show. This week... We start with the June 12th Kobe Sambo Hall Show, and we will go through everything of note until we hit, um, I guess, the second week of September when these shows took place. So there's a lot of Japan coverage to get to, and like I said, we start on June 12th in Kobe Sambo Hall. Uh, The main things of note on this show, Masato Yoshino defeating Ricochet in a singles match, Akira Tozawa and Yasushi Kanda, well, they wrestled Masaki Mochizuki and Shingo Takagi in a tag match. Not only did the Blood Warrior side win, but Akira Tozawa pinned his former Kamikaze stablemate in Shingo Takagi. And then your main event, Shima, Doi, and Hulk defeated Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Gamma. It should be noted coming out of this show after his loss, Shingo demanded a singles match with Tozawa. He said he wanted uh, to be repaid uh, for Tozawa to pay his debt here in Kobe, and so the match was made for Kobe World 2011. First match announced for the show is Shingo versus Tozawa, and then after the main event, Blood Warriors Injunction 3. Agreed uh, next month in Osaka on July 3rd to have a five-match series to see who the better team is. Shima said he doesn't care uh, if it's a 99-match series. Blood Warriors will sweep them. From there, like I mentioned last week, we go to Fukuoka for the Champion Gate Shows, at which Pac retained his Brave Gate title against Ricochet, and Yoshino, Gamma, and Yamato defeated Shima, Doi, and Hulk for the vacant Open the Triangle Gate Belt, and then the next night, Dragon Kid and Pac won the Twin Gate Belts from Ryo Saito and Genki Horiguchi, and Masaki Mochizuki pulled off a miracle and had a Match of the Year contender against Yasushi Kanda. And, and, Mike, I'm not on an island saying that Moch- that Mochizuki versus Kanda match is unbelievably good, correct?
2: No, no. This is probably Kanda's best singles match ever. Yes, I think I, I would say I, so. I, I, I don't think that's a wild statement. And, you know, that it, it's something that, like they have these champion gate shows that basically like, they had this up there. And if anything really should put people to reassess Masaki Mochizuki – go watch the show from from June 19th in 2011 in Fukuoka because he did masterwork there and then everything that they've started to build up on the on the, like these set of shows like you had Yoshino and Kanda I'm sorry you had you, you had Tazawa and Kanda against Masaki Mochizuki and, and Shingo Takaki like at this point that's the biggest uh win of Tozawa's career was against Shingo in that match and I remember like that that main event, where you basically had everyone who was betrayed on one side and the betrayers on the other side, in the main event being something that was really cool. I mean, they almost went half an hour in that match, which is something that's like wild to think of at this time, like having a 27 minute uh, Kobe Sambo Hall main event, but it was really, really solid stuff. And then, you know, it, it was full board from there into July and, and into what was called the Perfectorial Gym number two. I think this was right before it became. Known as Bodymaker, but still at the time as Perfectorial Gym number two for the uh, full, uh, the, their full confrontation that they had, like one of the first full confrontation shows that they would have in this feud.
0: Yeah, I actually think by the time they ran there in November, it was the Bodymaker Coliseum. I'm not I'm not positive, but I think by that November show, which we will talk about during the next triple shot, what have if- The great Dragon Gate shows of all time. I believe it is body maker number two at that point. But July 3rd in Osaka, uh, we get the KZ return match to start the show. Naoki Tanizaki and KZ beating Don Fuji and Stalker Ichikawa with the Adios Motherfucker. uh, A move named (laughs) after the Implant Impact Combination, the most vulgar finish in all of wrestling. As I believe we talked about on the show either last week or two weeks ago, there was an international high-flyer three-way match with Ricochet defeating Rich Swan and Pac in a rematch of the Uprising 2011 main event. That show was also in your podcast feed if you have not heard the review of that. And then we began the Blood Warriors versus Junction 3 five-match series. It started with the Junction 3 team of Kagatora and Gamma winning... Against Genki Horiguchi and Tomahawk TT, Blood Warriors evened it up as Kanda defeated Super Shisa. Junction Three pulled ahead 2-1 as Susumu Yokosuka defeated Naruki Doi, and then Akira Tozawa, who was unstoppable at this point, he and Cyber Kong evened it up at two apiece after they defeated Yamato and Shingo Takagi, and once again Tozawa pinned Takagi, and then your main event to settle the score shima bb hulk and saito of blood warriors they defeated mochizuki yoshino and dragon kid of junction 3 an electric osaka number two show
2: yeah and like the big thing about this about this series and when I, when we say like this this is a, the company on full gears they use this show to set up uh kobe world in a fantastic manner because you had blood warriors they lose the first two matches, but then they sweep the three world skirmishes. And the adios motherfucker, like, the interesting thing about that is if you're someone who's not too familiar with uh, Naoki Tanazaki, he does the Impact, which is a version of the Omori driver. So they would basically do the same move to the same person where it was, like, one person on one side, one person on the other side. It looked very vulgar. So it made sense that they had that. And, you know, this was like this was, like, a really like powerful show because again you had shingo takagi taking the fall against akira tozawa in this match that was a uh, rematch of uh, kamikaze members looking at it and it's just like the like this time is like one of the peak times in the company i feel like we see that each time and then that goes into a a cork and hall show which after the uh, big month they had beforehand had a pretty stacked card that i mean the, the big thing here is that they had a big move, like when you talk about this show and you break down the matches, they were still able to sell up Corken with this, this thing, which is like a big step forward considering who all they have in the semi-main and the main event.
0: Yeah, July 8th, 2011, Corkin Hall. It starts with the Mike Spears Dream Match, Sasumi Yokosuka and Pac yeah, defeating uh, Taku Uwasa and Kenichiro Arai. That has your name written all over it. It, all should, be, it should be noted, the bonus battle rap. In which Rich Swan <laughs> defeated KZ. That would become a frequent occurrence for pretty much the rest of the year of Drangate forcing KZ and Rich Swan to rap against one another. Uh, Naruki Doi, Ryo Saito, and Genki Horiguchi defeated Masato Yoshino, Super Shisa, and the aforementioned Rich Swan. Don Fuji and Stalker Ichikawa defeated. Naoki Tanazaki and KZ. When Stalker Ichikawa pinned KZ, so if you if you look at that through 2020 eyes, the progress that KZ has made is absolutely (laughs) incredible. uh, Cyber Kong defeated Kagatora, Shima, Kanda, and Ricochet defeated Mochizuki, Dragon Kid, and Gamma, and then as Mike mentioned, the semi-main event and the main event, Yamato defeats Akira Tozawa, and BB Hulk knocks out Shingo Takagi with the first flash. A loaded cork and hall show, Mike.
2: Yeah, yeah, and the the other thing, like, touching on, like, KZ and, and Sakura Chikawa, uh, this was a build-up for their Kobe, uh, their Kobe World match where it was KZ Tanizaki and Tomahawk versus Don Fuji, uh, uh, Sakura Chikawa, and Yoshihiro Takayama. So like this was like not just like a comedy match, like this was a thing because like, they were bringing in Takayama as like their outsider for Kobe World 2011. And yeah, it's just like such a big thing, like the idea of you are, you have like the four. Least tested members of uh, the Torimon, uh or sorry, the uh, Dragon System uh, Big Six in the main events and still being able to put on a show like that.
0: Yeah, so uh, after Tozawa was defeated, Yamato uh, essentially bragged and said Tozawa should go back to the US for another 10 years or so. And then Cyber Kong jumped Yamato. Tozawa hit the package German. KZ counted a mock pinfall. And then Cyber Kong. Uh, fled to the back with the Amatos open-the-triangle-gate belt, and then after the main event, B.B. Hulk mocked Shingo Takagi, uh, swore his mighty kicks would essentially knock out Masaki Mochizuki, and then Mochizuki came out and said, hey, your post-match promos still suck, and Blood Warriors left. (laughs) And Mike, that brings us to Kobe World 2011, which is one of the greatest shows of all time.
2: Yeah, no, this show, I mean... The attendance here is is obviously worked. They say it's 9,400, but probably was about 68 to 7,000. And when you, like, look at this show, even, like, the undercard matches all had a lot of spice to it. Just, like, up and down, all seven matches on the show. You have some incredible stuff going here. And, you know, it's one of those shows that I believe still is up on the network if you're looking to see it. It is worth going back and revisiting pretty much from... I I the the, the uh, Takayama showing up is such a wild thing that I encourage to watch it. But basically, from match four on, it was just straight bangers. Well, I even
0: I like match number two a lot. I think it's a legitimately oh, yeah. good match. But the the show starts. It's uh and no Ory they defeat Kagatora and Super Shisa. Then, as I mentioned, Rio Saito and Genki Horiguchi they defeat Susumi Yokosuka and Rich Swan in a really fun match. Swan obviously gets to rap in front of. Uh, the Kobe faithful, which is great to see, and then there is that Don Fuji, Starker Chikawa, and Yoshihiro Takeyama versus Tanazaki Keiji and Tomahawk TT match that is second to none. I mean, Takeyama, oh man, I, I just I, I miss him uh, being able to move. I mean, it, it sucks. He's, it, his presence, even as he got older, was still such a welcome sight. In Japanese wrestling, and what has happened with his health issues is so unfortunate. He was great in that match. And then things pick up. Triangle Gate match, Yamada Yoshino and Gamma. They defeat Doi Kanda and Cyber Kong. Akira Tozawa pins Shingo Takagi in a 16-minute singles match. Shima and Ricochet defeat Drankid and Pak for the Open the Twin Gate belts. As I said last week, this is a five-star match one of the five greatest matches in dragon system history in my opinion and the main event is not that far behind it with masaki mochizuki defeating bb hulk in a brilliant match
2: yeah and the the big thing is about like the semi main main event we've talked about this on the uh, weekly update show, when people are asking us what to watch from these Kobe Samba Hall show, or oh, these Kobe World Hall shows, that's two completely different venues, Mike. Uh, <laughs> uh, you look at like this, the, you look at like match five on, Akira out in like the big showcase singles match, beats Shingo Takagi really definitively in a four and a half star match. Uh, Shima and Ricochet versus Dragon Kid and Pack might be one of the top three tag matches in the company's history i know you have it as a top five match i don't know if i go that far but it's definitely one of the best like two-on-two tag matches of all time in the dragon system and then Mochizuki and hulk just go to war for half an hour and it ends with Mochizuki kicking off uh bb hulk's head and it's just a tremendous way and something that's worth noting as we talk about 2011 ricochet gets the direct fall on Pac in the semi main event
0: yeah huge something that will come into the show we're about to talk about uh, I, some people don't like that main event, I think they're out of their mind, that, that is uh, just such a marvelous performance from both men, and it should also be noted, after the Twin Gate match, Naoki Tanazaki came out, he attacked Pac, he took the Brave Gate belt from him, he said that since Pac is going to go back to England, uh, Tanazaki kind of declared himself, in a sense, the new Open the Brave Gate champion, and Junction 3 uh, enlisted the trust of Rich Swan to get the belt back, and that led us to July 24th in Kyoto KBS Hall on a show that also it it, it had. Well, I guess we'll start here with the Blood Warriors authorized Bravegate match: Naoki Tanizaki yeah. defeating Rich Swan. One of the few times that uh, a heel group has taken control of the Brave Gate belt and has completely just changed the belt, and the stipulations around it obviously opened the Gamma Gate was a thing. And also on this show, the conclusion of the tournament to decide Don Fuji's tag partner in the Summer Adventure Tag League when Kotoka defeated Ata Kobayashi. This was a, a tournament involving Kotoka, uh, Yosuke Watanabe, Ata Kobayashi and Shisa Boy, Kotoka went over on Shisa Boy the night before. Watanabe went to a draw with Ata, and it was decided that Watanabe would advance. Unfortunately, he was too injured to compete, so Ata slid into that spot, and then Kotoka defeated Ata to team with Don Fuji in the upcoming Summer Adventure Tag Leg.
2: Yeah, uh, so this kind of became a trend for Yosuke Watanabe, uh, currently known as Yosuke Samaria, that. Their uh, Watanabe's early career injured a whole lot, like in and out, in and out uh became Super Shenlong three was injured a lot. Super Shenlong three became Maria and finally kind of had some consistency there. Um uh, Ada Kobayashi, I think you all know who that is. That's Ada, and this is if you look at Ada like this completely different Ada then and then yeah, like the idea that because Pack went Pack was going back to the UK for. A bit. I don't think he comes back. He hasn't come back. I think until uh, did he come back for the Cork and Hall show in August? No, no. He's he's. I think he comes back after the uh, after the tour in America. I believe, right? That
0: sounds right. Yes, my search and so, find is not working properly right now, <laughs> so I couldn't look ahead on the cards. But yeah, it would it would not appear that Pac is back. Uh, through the rest of the shows we're talking about
2: yeah yeah so it's something where it it made sense that they did this I mean it was a lot more common for them to jerk around the brave gate in this manner and then like them they liked Swan immediately putting him in like in this and of course it was kind of seen a little bit as a joke match but you know that was important and then the idea that Katoka this is like one of the many times where like they tried, they started to start up Katoka they started to start up Katoka And, like, him teaming with Don Fuji makes sense in that regard. Yeah, so
0: that leads us to the Summer Adventure Tag League 2011, also known as the BB Hulk and Akira Tozawa Vanity Tournament. Uh, This was a single elimination tournament instead of the block format that they had used previously. Shima and Ricochet decided to boycott the tournament. So that left us with uh, teams representing Junction 3 with Masaki, Mochizuki, and Yamato, Masao Yoshino and Dragon Kid, Shingo Takagi and Susumu Yokosuka, Gamma and Rich Swan and Super Shisa and Kagatora, and then on the Blood Warrior side, Naruki Doi and Yasushi Kanda, Ryo Saito and Genki Horiguchi, BB Hulk and Akira Tozawa, Naoki Tanazaki and Kaz, and Cyber Kong and Tomahawk TT, and then there were two unaffiliated teams in Owasa and Arai, and Don Fuji and Kotoka, and, and Mike, that leads us to the kickoff of the Summer Adventure Tag League, August 3rd, Cork and Hall. Uh Shima Tanazaki and KZ win the opener against Shisa Boy, Shooper Sinlong, and Yosuke Watanabe. Kagatori defeats AR Fox in his Cork and Hall debut. And then we begin the Summer Adventure Tag League uh, uh, format with Shingo and Susumu defeating Cyberkrong and Tomahawk TT, B.B. Hulk and Tozawa defeating Awasa and Arai, Doi and Kanda beating Fuji and Kotoka, and right before the main event, it was decided, uh, Shima took it upon himself to book himself in another match, a loser stays home next month match, where the, the loser of the fall would have to miss the next Korkin, where Masato Yoshino, Gamma, and Rich Swan and Dragon Kid, they defeated Shima, Tanazaki, Metal Warrior, and KZ, who took the fall, so KZ would have to miss the next Korkin. And then your main event, Masaki, Mochizuki, and Yamato defeating Ryo Saito and Genki Horaguchi.
2: So this tournament really is like the crystallization of Hulk and Akira. Like you, you talked about this being kind of like the glorified Hulk and Akira show. And it started immediately. I mean, the idea that Oriowa, which has just basically been doing openers game, they got completely dismantled in 14 minutes. Like it's something where it is completely, uh, you know, that they took the, Awasa would not stay too long in the company. Owasa would be retired again before we're done here. And then mochizuki and yamato defeating like the most recent uh twin gate champions in the main event was kind of a big thing and then you know the, the go home opener we'll talk very quickly at the end of this about what happened at the end of that so you know this is an interesting thing like kakator and air fox i don't think this match may tape but i want to see like i want to think it may tape because i remember these two things happening but it might be me transposing what i think that match would be in my brain into actual things that happened
0: I think there's a full version of this Cork Hall out there somewhere. I feel like I've seen that match because I tried to track down as much Foxes in Japan as I could.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, this is something like, and it's also something notable. This was not a sellout in Cork for this tournament.
0: Well, uh, there I think there's a reason they don't do the Summer Adventure Tag like anymore, so that would make sense. <laughs> uh, we then yeah. go to Osaka number two on the 6th, and the tournament matches for that show, Doi and Kanda defeat Gamma and Rich Swan; Mochizuki and Yamato defeat Tanazaki and KZ, Hulk and Tozawa defeat Shisa and Kagatora, Yoshino and Dragon Kid defeat Shingo and Susumu, and Cyber Kong, who was in the opener on this show, he made... A, a, a challenge for the Open the Dream Gate title that Masaki Mochizuki held. He ended up facing with all, uh, facing off with all ten members of Junction Three in an arm wrestling challenge. He defeated the first nine easily, prompting Mochizuki to accept the match. He didn't arm wrestle. He said his power came from his legs. So Mochizuki versus Cyber Kong for the Open the Dream Gate belt was set, and that leads us to the conclusion of the Cyber Adventure Tag League. On August 7th in Aichi, with the semifinals of Hulk and Tozawa defeating Yoshino and Dragon Kid, and Mochizuki and Yamato defeating Doi and Kanda, and then the Summer Adventure Tag League finals, Akira Tozawa and BB Hulk, they defeat Masaki, Mochizuki, and Yamato when Tozawa pins Yamato.
2: Yeah, that match ruled. Very good. <laughs> like, it's very good. Like Mochizuki and Yamato never had like a full-length tag team, but they kind of worked together as like two shoot-style guys, and this is also at a point where we'll talk about in the show where Yamato is kind of drifting out. You know, like this is kind of where Yamato, we talked last week, Yamato is starting to disappear a little bit. And, you know, Tozawa keeps on having constant wins against Yamato, constant wins against Yamato, and it's going to become something really big in the fall. So in the next, like, triple shot, when we talk about Japan, we'll be talking a lot about Tozawa versus Yamato.
0: Yeah, so after that we go to Kobe Sambo Hall, August 14th, and a show that because it's Sambo Hall, I'm sure it made tape. What I don't know is if if matches 2 and 3 aired, and if they did, I would certainly love to see them where Match 2, Naruki Doi defeated Rich Swan in a 9-minute singles match, and then Match 3, Akira Tozawa defeated Super Super Shisa in a 15-minute singles match, but the the main thing on the show was the Open the Triangle Gate Junction 3 versus Junction 3 match, where Yamato Yoshino and Gamma defeated Mochizuki, Shingo, and Dragon Kid. And then, Mike, what happened after the main event of this show. What was bestowed upon Kobe Sambo Hall after the Open the Triangle Gate match?
2: Well, something that would shake Dragon Gate's history. Something that, to this day, we will be coming up on the 10th anniversary of this. We've passed the 10th anniversary of this debuting, but we'll come across the 10th anniversary of this match tomorrow as we are recording. We had the debut of doi darts and he says they unveiled this as inspired by the yoshino lottery we talked about this when yoshino was champion he would draw balls to see who the next challenger was so he made a dart board featuring all 11 members of blood warriors he had two boards and that the rule is that the three he would hit would be the uh, blood warriors challenge team against yamato yoshino and gamma the two boards one of them was just like a little sliver that i think i want to say might have had I'm trying to think who's, 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 who would have been the person that would put on that sliver at that time. I don't remember. But 95% of it was Doi, and the rest of it on the other two boards were pretty evenly split for nine people. And he threw darts, so he got himself, <laughs> and then he hit Kanazaki and KZ. And now we have Team Doi darts as they would be getting, being the next Triangle Gate challengers. And Dragon Gate would not be the same again as Naroki Doi has delved into his obsession with spinning dart boards.
0: After that, we hit Fukuoka and Hakata Star Lanes, August 21st, 2011. The thing on this show, well, there's a semi-main event of Shingo and Yamato against B.B. Hulk and Akira Tozawa, in which Yamato got his win back on Tozawa. But what is important here is the main event, Masaki Mochizuki defeating Cyber Kong. Earlier in the year, we just talked about how Mochizuki gave Kanda the best singles match of his life. Mike, I think this is the best Cyber Kong singles match ever.
2: Yeah, and... I think when people go back and reassess the decades of 2010s, Masaki Mochizuki deserves to be in in the conversation for the best wrestler of the decade because he manages to have two wrestlers who Kong is, Kong was hit and miss at this point. We did not reach the Nadir of Takashi Oshida, but before Kobe World he had the best match of Yuzushi Kanda's career and then he had the best match the best singles match of Cyber Kong's career given that his a new Hazard Triangle Gate team was a lot of fun. Like, it's up there. like It's either this match or the Kobe World 2007 match are the best matches in Cyber Kong's career.
0: So that is the only thing of note on the Hakata Star Lane show. But in August of 2011... There were two Corican Hall shows, so we go back to Corican August 25th uh, for a show that featured Dragon Kid and Super Shisa defeating Tomahawk TZ, Tomahawk TT and Tomahawk KZ, Don Fuji defeating Kotoka, getting revenge for the embarrassment that was the Summer Adventure Tag League, Shima and Kanda defeating Mochizuki and Rich Swan, another Blood Warriors authorized opened open the Brave Gate match with Tanazaki defeating Gamma. Uh, and Tanazaki only needed a two count to win that match. We had in match five the Kness Return match, where Saito and Horiguchi defeated Kines and Yokosuka, as well as Takuwasa and Kanichiro Arai. And then a huge main event, Nombre Contra Nombre, Nanawa style elimination match, Doi, Hulk, Tozawa, and Kong defeated Yamato, Kagatora, Yoshino, and Shingo, and one of the many great Blood Warriors versus Junction 3 multi-man matches.
2: Yeah, so the reason why KZ was KZ and did not stay home was because there was a quote-unquote injury, and he had to become as Tomahawk KZ for the night because that's a different person, clearly. Uh, (laughs) I really—this three-way tag, of course, there's a lot of my guys in there. You know, Kness coming back. I mean, Kness had a pretty good stretch from, like, 2011 through the end of the jimmies where he was around a lot more. So, like, there was nice seeing you had Marahi Yusapa, you had Neska, and you had Araiwa going out against But this Nanawa elimination match, which is just, like, an insane match, is over the top rope. And you're you're entered by, like, you start off with two people in the ring, and then one side gets advantage, and they come in, and then they throw people out. The, like, the thing is, that like, they all stand by the entryway and sprint into the ring. And the big thing about this match was it was a Nanawa-style elimination match. But since Yoshida won, the, uh, won the, uh, the, the thing to become to give the heels the advantage, they decided to name it the Yoshida one. Because even at that time, we knew that Cyber Kong's last name was Yoshida. And the match rolled, like, 34 minutes. I think the uh, Infinity Cut had, like, 27 of it. And, I mean, they go 23 minutes before there's a single elimination. And then they all, like, over the next 10 minutes, it's nonstop. At this time, you remember how I said, like, Yamato has a hell of a spear? I forgot that Musha Kakeshi is a is his name for a spear like it was a finishing move at that time so i was being smart about it and notably tozawa threw eliminated takagi and tozawa got the win at the end against yamato in the package german suplex the the straight jacket so i mean this was a this was a great cork and hall show like and i feel like i'm saying this a lot but this was a really strong one and then they announced that pack was coming back to japan and that he wants the match tanazaki won the match under two count rules so i think we'll be talking about that and the next show, because he will be coming back by then.
0: Yeah, so we get to the final Dragon Gate proper
2: show that we'll be
0: discussing uh, on this portion, the September 2nd Kobe Sambo Hall Show, in which the main event was the Open the Triangle Gate match, where Noruki Doi, Naoki Tanizaki, and KZ they defeated the champions Yamano, Yoshino, and Gamma. After the match, Gamma demanded an immediate rematch. Mochizuki threw his name in the hat as well for the challenging team. KZ demanded that Swan also join in. So you were looking at a Gamma-Mochizuki-Swan team. It looked like it would happen on the next Sambo Hall show in October, but Doi declined and made the match non-title. He also announced that the next Doi Darts would happen there. And there's a note that Doi Darts also has its own t-shirt now. And the other thing to come out of this show is the main event for Gate of Destiny, which would be in October, so we'll talk about that a few shows from now, was announced a hair-versus-mask six-way cage match, Tozawa, Hulk, Cyberkong, Yamato, Shingo, and Kagatora. I can't wait to rewatch this match and then talk about it all on the podcast because it plays directly into the next Dragon Gate USA triple shot.
2: Yeah, so Team Doidarts becomes a huge thing. Uh, by the end of this like tile run, uh, they all would dress up as Doi. They all would have would be wearing short tights and a Doi Darts t-shirts. It, it, it's wild how like how over Doi Darts was. Like it's one of those things that Naruki Doi like found something just stupid and made it super popular. And you know, like that it became such a big thing that I mean they still do Doi Darts matches a decade later because it becomes like a trademark thing. It's that Naruki Doi, he is a wife guy, he loves golf. But one thing he loves above all else is dartboards.
0: <laughs> well, Mike, before we get into Drengate USA, there were two shows that happened in Shinkaba, in Shinkiba First Ring on September 7th and September 8th. You recently perhaps re unearthed some of these shows uh, and in the past few weeks, would you like to break down the September 7th and September 8th shows, the Bayouden again, Masaki Mochizuki
2: presents cards. So the, if you're someone that has liked kind of the reemergence of shoot style in UWFI in the States, and you've gone back and watched battle arts, these are shows worth checking out just because these were like Masaki Mochizuki produced. They were done with. You have a lot of shoot style guys on there, some a lot of Dragon Gate guys, and a lot of guys that are just, you know, they are uh, Masaki Mochizuki's friends, and he put together some real interesting cards. So the first show was on the 7th, had Tomonahawk TT and Takeshi Minamino, who's popped up in Dragon Gate in 2020, going against Takafumi Watanabe and Chihiro Tomonaga case in the opener match uh, TT over Tomonaga with a night ride, a Mudo. Versus Jackson, Florida, I believe. It, it, it's not this time, but within like the next like year and a half, uh, Minori Min- Sawa would retire because Arts was shut down. So you had like a comedy match here. Then you have like this match that's just a wild match that happened. Naoki Tanizaki and Fuji- Fujita Junior Hayato defeat the team of Kakator and Kakata- and Katoka with Hayato uh, with Hiato, uh defeating Katoka with the kid. That was a really fun match. That match then- sounds
0: incredible. I need to go back and rewatch that.
2: And then it gets even better from there because we have BB Hulk and KZ going against Daichi Hashimoto and Yoshikazu Yokoyama. Hulk defeated Yokoyama with the first flash. And then the first main event of this match, who boy of the show, this is a spicy one. Shinjiro Otani, Ikuto Hadaka, and Daisuke Sekimoto defeat the team of Masachi Mokuzuki, Susumu Yokosuka, and Shingo Takagi. Hidaka defeated Yokozuka with a Sean capture. Just an insane match, like one of the, like the those deep like hit uh, matches where all six guys were going at it, and they just worked so well together. And it's, it's a special match. And if there's one thing that I would love to see in 2021, and I don't think it's going to happen. I want Biden back because Biden would put together main events like this. Just insane things. Like, what were your big thoughts about this one?
0: Well, I—I I mean, I—I I watched all these shows years ago. It, it has been a long time since I have seen them, but looking at it now, that main event between Otani, Sekimoto, Mochizuki, Yokosuka, and Takagi—we're talking about five of arguably, and—and and that is, uh, you know, my thoughts on Sekimoto. I've certainly uh, turned a bit of a cold shoulder to him in recent years, because I, I just don't love his current output. But historically, we're talking about five of maybe the 50 best wrestlers to ever live, and akuto Hadaka is no slouch. So that is just an incredible main event. The amount of talent in one ring is second to none.
2: And then the next night, we had an opener. We had a pre-show match where Misaki Mochizuki defeated Hikaru Sato with a, with a face punch. He punched him in the face, and he won. Welcome to Biden. This stuff happens. Uh, match two was uh, Satoshi Kajiwara, Yuna uh, Nishikawa, and Kito Miyohara defeating Kenichiro Yosuke Wanabe and, and Chihiro Tomonaga. Don't remember who the finish was. I don't have it marked here, but it was with a moonsault press. Kikusan Hansen defeated Bruiser Ichikawa in four minutes and 36 seconds. Hey, I mean, you had Kikataro versus Stalker Ichikawa, the two best comedy wrestlers of all time, doing Hansen versus Bruiser Brody things. Daisuke Sakamoto defeated Tomahawk TT in seven minutes with a high-angle German suplex. Yes, Sakamoto versus T-Hawk was on the show as a singles match. BB Hulk and Takuya Sugawara defeated Kness and Akuto Hidaka. Take out Sugawara there, and I think that's a tremendous match. And then the main event, another crazy main event, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumi Yokosuka, and Shingo Takage defeat the team of Kazuhika Nakajima. Fujita Jr. Hayato, and Muninori Sawa. Uh, Yokosuka defeated Sawa in 19 minutes and 9 seconds with the Jumbo no Kachi Gatame. And we will be talking more about Biden by, like if not the next set of shows, we'll be talking about them in 2012, because it comes back in, on November 11th, as Mochizuku was impressed by the fight that Sato gave him. He took a, fu- he took a punch to the face, and he was like, you know what? You can stick around and in And These are really awesome shows. I don't know who has the rights to these shows. They did get around in the tape trader days and they're worth seeking out. Cause it's just, I mean, with like the blood sports of the world and the par and the paradigms and all that stuff. Check out these. This is, this is like the real good stuff.
0: Well, I, I would think gaiora owns them. I don't know if they're, uh, originally aired by Iora, but the punch Tominaga debut match happened on a Bayouden show, and that is on the network. So there is at least some possibility that one day these will pop up on the network. And uh, I would like to see Daisuke Sakamoto versus 2020 T-Hawk. I think that would be very entertaining.
2: Yeah, that would be kind of remarkable. And Case, I think that's it for the mailbag, is, unless there's anything big you... Or not the mailbag, sorry. The timeline, unless you have anything big you want to touch on before we get into the show itself <laughs> we'll do a mailbag show one of these
0: days uh <laughs> um, oh gosh <laughs> we'll do that um no just quickly i guess yes quickly uh there are four notes from the Gate usa newswire uh on july 18th yamato versus shima was signed for the open the freedom gate belt on july 21st the continuation of the ricochet versus Pac challenge series was announced it will be a singles match between Pac and ricochet on this show August 11th, it is announced that Sabu is coming to Drangate USA, debuting on September 10th in Chicago, and AR Fox wants him as his partner, so we have that to look forward to. And then finally, August 18th, a four-way freestyle match with Junction 3's Yamato, Blood Warriors' Naruki Doi, Ronan's Chuck Taylor and the DUF Sammy Callahan is announced with the caveat that the winner of the match will have the power to book any bout he wants for their stable at a future Dragon Gate USA event. This could be a title match. This could be a stipulation match, whatever the winner wants. The balance of power could shift in this all-important freestyle match.
2: Yeah, so that's a, we, uh, we have that going in here. It's something that I do not, like, when I watch these shows, I go through some of the notes and some things I didn't. I did have a moment on the show where I was like, oh, wait, where is Sammy Callahan? And then I scrolled on, down on Cage Match. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, he's in the next match. So, a lot of stuff going into the show in case I think we're ready to get underway with the show review if you're ready.
0: I am ready to be untouchable, Mike. I am ready to open the Untouchable Gate 2011.
2: Well, it's not open the Untouchable Gate anymore. <sighs> it's just Untouchable Come on, Mike.
0: I, I didn't have a transition there. Gotta work with me.
2: Well, well, I was going to make a comment about being untouchable three times, and that just you know not n- not going to work here. <laughs> that was not going to happen. So, untouchable 2011 uh, attendance is reported as 783 on cage match. It is real. Realistically, is reported by Dave Meltzer. It's about 500, and that about is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. I would say I would guess about about 400, maybe maybe 350 in Chicago for the show.
0: I I, it's impossible to say because there were it was essentially they ran a show in the dark I mean there are are no lights turned on in this congress theater with the exception of a few lights to light up the ring so it is really hard to say how many people are at this building because I really you cannot see the crowd at any point in
2: this show I mean that's the story of the congress theater really like from the time that we lost uh Davey Richards and the lights to now you get lights when they come out, and you can kind of see them, but really, if they are ever in the crowd, you've got no chance to see them. But getting to the show itself, uh, I thought this was a decent show. There was one match that I really loved, and then there was some matches that I thought were pretty solid. Nothing especially blow-away, and even the stuff that I thought was kind of on the lower end was not outright bad. What were your thoughts overall? I like the show. There's some
0: head-scratching, booking, some stuff I wasn't really satisfied with but overall there were two really great matches and one match that i thought was really really good so i'll take that as a as a a plus given the northeast triple shot we discussed this show is just such a breath of fresh air
2: yeah no this show especially after like the anniversary weekend they've now put together two strong shows on this triple shot so i think that if anything we're not completely – the, the tail of the DJUSA plane has not started to gain back elevation yet, but we are not going downhill right now because we were definitely going downhill leading uh, into that last triple shot, but we've started to level things out, and this turned out to be a respectable show, in my opinion. So it opened up with a shot of the ring. We could actually see the ring this time, not much of the rest of the venue, and that led to a well, a – I think it was called like the tag team uh, – uh, what was it, a tag team discovery match? Yes. My apologies. Between the scene of Caleb Conley and Scott Reed versus the Kentucky Buffet of Alex Castle and Matt Cage. The scene, one of the obscene on Cage in three minutes and 35 seconds and a decent squash match.
0: Yeah, I was unfamiliar with Alex Castle, but Matt Cage is a guy who I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I he, Yeah. He retired and then kind of came back to wrestling and is kind of doing stuff here and there. But Matt Cage is someone who, had Dragon Gate USA continued past WrestleMania week in 2014, he would have absolutely been booked I mean he worked some Evolve shows in 2015 I remember thinking when he worked those Evolve shows like wow Gabe should really pick him up like he seems like a guy that would fit into this promotion I mean his his track record in Evolve he loses a singles match to AR Fox at Evolve 38 there's a four-way match and Mike you'll love this Evolve 49 Andrew Everett defeats Anthony Nice. Matt Cage and Peter Casa. So, some huge Dragon Gate representation in that match. And then the next night at Evolve 50, he beat Ethan Page in a singles match, gave Topolsky showing he was on the right side of history by having Ethan Page lose. So, you know, Matt Cage is a guy that I liked a lot. He's very young in his career at this point, and the Kentucky buffet did not bring much to the table. But I thought Scott Reed in particular looked good in this very short squash match.
2: Prepare for the last five episodes of the series for Cage and for a case, and I'd have probably our most contentious argument about Ethan Page. I, I, I'm, I, I'm fully Ethan Page-pilled at this point. Hey, hey, look, <laughs> in 2014,
0: I was hashtag all ego, baby. Uh, now, played by Julian, not
2: so much. What about body guy played by Julian?
0: No, because that fucking sucked too. By that point, I was annoyed with Ethan Page and it was, you know, he, God, what a frustrating human being. So much talent, so much talent, and he's such a fucking asshole about it.
2: You you know, I, I half expect him as we're recording, we're recording for All Out, I half expect him to be in the Casino Battle Royal on Saturday. I kind of want to see him show up there that that, that, would, that would make me very happy but well this episode this will isn't... come
0: out after that so please tweet at Fuji Heo with two eyes whether or not Mike <laughs> Spears was right and more importantly if he's wrong let him know that he was incorrect about that prediction
2: yeah so getting back to the show after our brief sojourn into our impending battle of wreath and page we had Brody Lee coming out and big boots uh Matt Cage Larry Dallas ran out and gets the scene out of the way and then Brody Lee talks about what he did last year in Chicago, basically interrupting a lot of matches and beating people down. And he says he's doing the same thing this year until someone stops him. And then we have, an, we have a uh, segue for the uh, Southern Gate pay-per-view DVD that came out, only five months behind. So we're in a good place right now for our DVD production. This is my current thing I fixate on is how far behind they are on their DVDs. And they're at five months for this one. And that leads us into the next match. Do you have any big thoughts about Brody Lee already making this uh, 2010 redux? No, I mean, just... Re-
1: in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club... off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for ten percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voice of the wrestling podcast network
0: remember this is the first of many brody lee appearances that would occur and i have a hard time believing that Larry Dallas could play Peacemaker when Brody Lee is angry, but I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for the craft.
2: You know, that's fair. That's a fair point. And then we had John Davis versus Rich Swann. Davis won with three seconds around the world and nine minutes and three seconds. I went three and three quarters on this match. I thought this match owned for the time, and I feel like this was a really well-worked big guy, small guy match.
0: I am so glad you have converted... To being a John Davis fan, it makes me so happy
2: because this established dominance, baby, established, established dominance. dominance.
0: Look, I loved this match because it was it was a really interesting formula in the sense that Davis is obviously twice the size of Swan, but Swan has the experience and was working on top for a portion of this match. So it was you know in in a sense it was you know reverse psychology from what we typically see. But it was worked in such a way that it just completely fit what they were going for. John Davis gets a big, big spot where he kicks out of the standing for 50. Nobody, I don't believe anybody had done that previously in this company. No. Uh, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I mean, I'm, I'm supporting John Davis, and I'm about to talk about how good the strikes are. Maybe this is turning into a Segunda Keda podcast, not a Voices of Wrestling podcast. <laughs> but John Davis and Rich Swann were throwing some great punches, and that's just something that I've never cared about, never really you know, want to analyze, but in this match it jumped out at me like, wow, these guys really can throw some strikes. And then John Davis hits the three seconds around the world for the win. I've complained in the past about how weak Rich Rich Swan has been booked compared to how talented he is, and that has bugged me. But I am all aboard the John Davis train right now, and it was the proper move to sacrifice
2: Rich Swan in this situation. And they they made this in a way where Rich Swan was in, like, the early parts of the match, it was, like, he had to, like, avoid... It was all evasion, evasion, evasion. Like, there was a moment where he tries to go for, like, a springboard arm drag and Davis stops him, flips him up, throws him over his head. That was amazing. And then it became the story of that whenever he had the opportunity to... uh, Rich Swan went for everything. He went for the same 450. He did a really beautiful top rope uh, frog splash. Nothing was working. His... Every every big shot he had didn't work. So then he, he was like, well, I'm going to start flipping around and see if something connects. It looks like he was going to go for like some sort of a space flying tiger elbow into the corner. And Davis caught him on his shoulders halfway through, spun around with three seconds around the world, pinned him, pinned him clean. And it was like a sub-10 minute awesome match. I went three and three quarters. Where were you on this one?
0: Three and a half. I, I can't believe you are higher than me on this because I thought... I didn't think you were going to be crazy about this match. I thought I was going to have to talk you into a three-and-a-half, and here you are going three-and-three-quarters.
2: Established dominance, baby. That's what <laughs> I'm all about right here. Then Brody Lee came out. He gave Swan a big boot, and then something that kind of became a trend for Brody Lee on the show, one of the laziest power bombs we've ever seen. <laughs> he, Kevin he just, Nash, like, brother,
0: it's the Kevin Nash tribute spot.
2: Yeah, yeah, Kevin Nash put him over, and now he's going to be doing that. And then he had a, an inaudible Brody promo. We are in WWE in, in 2011. You can't hear anything. And, and well, an just, open
0: well, sh- that's important Mike mentions that because there's something later on in the show that is a feat of production, but we cannot hear live promos. Now, the last time we were in this building, September 25th, 2010, I heard every word of Brody Lee's promo. I don't know what changed in the last year to make Gabe Sapolsky uh, be... He's enabled, in- unable... To work, I'm unable to talk. He's unable to work a PA system. I don't understand it.
2: it, it it's something that, like, was he just using the G-Funk pay-per-view soundboards? And, the, and, there was, and now he had to go get his own soundboard and Gabe, Sapolsky, being notoriously cheap, got the cheapest <laughs> mic and soundboard possible? <laughs> I mean, he would not have to bring his own soundboard here. This was a theater. They would have a house system. Like, yeah,
0: no there, was no, there was no excuse for this. There was no excuse to yeah. not be able to hear a promo.
2: Yeah, he seemed to be... So, can't hear it. It seemed to be an opening challenge. Greg Iron answered just like he did in Indianapolis. And then commentary put over the Punk and Nash thing over. Did a He Got Fire chat. Uh, you can make out some disability bullshit they did. Again, I'm not a big fan of that. Brody was acting like, oh, I'm going to get a high five with a guy with cerebral palsy. Really kind of lame stuff. Iron attacked, but then was quickly laid out... And Brody did a mocking pen, and he wanted more. And who answered it, Case? My my man! man,
0: My man, Uha Nation, answered the call.
2: Yeah. The the one man nation, you know, one nation under God. (laughs) That promo (laughs) still. Liberty and
0: Justice for no one. The greatest (laughs) promo I've ever heard. It's Kane Dewey, it's the Punk Pipe Bob, and it's UHA Nation's
2: Drangit USA debut promo. So he answers. He immediately does a German suplex, power slam, does the fireman's carry, shooting star, tries to go for the moonsault, misses the moonsault, of the uha combination, and then Brody hits a really heavy-looking power bomb, and then escapes, knowing that these two guys are now on a collision course. And I'm ready. I'm ready for that match. And then we had a Duf and Ar Fox uh, recap.
0: So, so let's talk about this Brody Lee segment. Yep. He,
2: he kills Rich
0: Swan. Which look, I. I've given up on Gabe caring about Rich Swan. I don't understand why Gabe doesn't like this guy, but he clearly doesn't. So, Swan loses, and then Brody beats him up even more. Not crazy about that, but I'll accept it. Greg Iron comes out. Look, it's Gregory Iron. I'm sure he was comfortable with the direction that things went. Not my thing. I wouldn't really want it on my show. I don't think it's like this malicious bullying thing, though. Uh, given all the nice things I've heard about Brody Lee and just knowing who Gregory Iron is to some extent, it, again, not my thing. I don't think it's like this malicious hazing attempt, but they go through those. I, the The cool thing in the Gregory Iron spot is he he dodges a bunch of Brody Lee strikes, and it's like a mini hope spot before his head gets kicked off, and then Uha Nation comes out, and no one knows who Uha is. He comes out, he hits two big moves, he does the start of the UHA combination, and then Brody rolls out of the way on that moonsault. And that should have been it. He should have rolled out of the ring and hightailed it up the entranceway. And quite honestly, we should have never seen Brody Lee again for the entire show. That should have been his segment. Why he came back, hit a big move on UHA Nation, left him laying, and then we would see Brody, as we go along again, I do not understand. We are now seeing the start, and we talked about this, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, I don't remember the exact show, but the pattern of booking that Dragon USA ended up adopting of match angle, match angle. It looks like a TEW game, the way that Gabe is currently booking. There's just no real flow to it, and Brody Lee is the ultimate victim of this because he's all over the show just interfering and doing all this nonsense. There was no reason for him to hit a big move on UHA Nation. There was no reason for them to be even. Okay, this should have been UHA's moment that Brody escaped, and they should be building to a singles match between the two, which, off the top of my head, I don't know if it ever happens. I I, I don't believe no. it did, which, God, that's even more upsetting. Uh, I just don't... I, I hated this, because Brody... I mean, look, I still think Brody Lee should be challenging for the title. I'm pissed we didn't get a Brody Lee Yamato match, but Brody's doing this thing where he just beats up on these smaller guys, and finally a guy his size comes out, he evens the score, and they have the least effective brawl possible. And I just don't understand it.
2: It, It's really, really bad. It's something that, like, with how UHA is, and how it's going to be a huge ascent with UHA Nation. He's going to be someone that's going to be such a guy, like, we we don't have a lot of UHA Nation. Like, he's out of... He's in WWE very quickly, but when he's in the company, he's such an impactful person that, like, you don't need to have this happen. I mean, UHA would be out of DGUSA by 2013. So, like, we have two years of UHA Nation, and then he finishes up in, in, uh, in Dragon Gate and then goes and gets signed in 2015. So, well, he misses
0: an entire year, so we really only have a, a collective year of UHA in Dragon Gate USA.
2: Right, Yeah. So it's frustrating. It's one of those things that match never happens. And we'll get into why that match doesn't happen on future episodes. But we did have a match that would happen. This We had the DUF versus AR Fox recap. We don't really need to go over that. It's what it, they gave match angle, match angle video package. And then we had Pack versus Ricochet and their first and their big match in the United States. And it was a ridiculous match. Pack one with the British Airways. In case, I went four and a quarter stars on this match. This was the match of the night.
0: Wow, okay, so you're higher than me on this, which is which is interesting because, you know, Lenny Leonard does a really good job on commentary of saying that this is the new age Tiger Mask versus Dynamite Kid, which I think it is. Um, I mean, I've always said, and it's true, all of Ricochet's success can be credited to Pac, because without Pac and without Drangate, Ricochet is just a dude in Ian Rodden's barn doing flips, okay? So, mm-hmm. Ricochet from December 2010, when he debuts in the company, to December 2011, is an entirely different human. And the consistency there is he spends an entire calendar year working with Pac. And Pac convinces him to stick to a diet, to stick to working out, and more, uh, most importantly, makes him... Uh, the the foundations of the Ricochet that we know today. I mean, he's just a brilliant professional wrestler who was a dork on Twitter and is misused by the company he works for now, but it is all thanks to this 2011 feud with Pac. And you watch so much of the stuff Pac does, and it clearly influenced the next generation of Flyers, the Will Ospreys of the world. It is a direct lineage from what Pac was doing. The funny thing is, I love this match. I think it's the weakest singles match of their three in twenty eleven. I went three and three quarters with it.
2: That's fair. That's fair. The thing that really like set me off about this when I was watching this, I really struck me is we don't talk about how effortless Pac is. He's
0: unbelievable, Like He is un. He's there's no one like him. The biggest takeaway from this series so far, and we've said it a bunch, is just how good Pac is. There's no one like him.
2: And it's something that, like, we've talked about him in current day a lot. We've talked about how, you know, I mean, this is a guy that we're now coming up on almost two years of his career, lost for things, reasons, no reasons of his own for him taking a stand and saying, I am not going to lose Enzo More again. You know, I mean, valid reasons, justified reasons in my mind. And in 2011, he already is this completely dynamic guy. Doing things like a standing cor- corkscrew moonsault. No effort in the world. Second rope, Phoenix Splash. Does not phase him. Insane set of Dragon Ranas. This was a show that had a lot of Dragon Ranas on it. And these two really ruled. And then we had like this. Probably for like all of Brody Lee's power bombs. The power bomb in this match. That pack is ricochet. Is one of the more brutal ones I've ever seen. Like it was, might be like a top five Liger bomb ever. And it's just something that it was incredibly well worked. You had, it was immediate sprint and then Ricochet realizing he was in out of his depth, pulls back to the outside and tries to crowd brawl and it doesn't go well for him, but he knows I have to get out of the ring with this guy or he's going to eat me alive. And then he gets momentum and they're able to go back and forth and, you know, 10 minutes. And I thought this match was excellent.
0: You know what I really like about these two together and specifically the story that was told in 2011 is you look at the results and Ricochet, Just beat Pac at Kobe World for the Twin Gate Belts. The Spike Mohicans seem to have the upper hand on Pac no matter who he's teaming with or where he goes. The night before, Ricochet wins the six-man tag. But as we saw on the March Quirkin on the June Champion Gate Show, and now in Chicago on Untouchable 2011, when it comes to one-on-one affairs, when it comes to singles matches, Pac still has the upper hand. And it is a really interesting story being told between the two.
2: Yeah, it's something that, with, like, the, the power of hindsight, and I know other stuff was going on in 2011, this might be, and when we get to it, I'm definitely going to be searching this out on, like, the feud of the year and, like, things like this uh, uh, for, like, awards. This is up there. Like, I know, like, with CM Punk, like, that got a lot of attention here, but I think a lot of people slept on this feud initially. And- oh,
0: completely. I mean, they, they slept on Pac just throughout this point in his career. He should have been praised as one of the five best wrestlers in the world, and I really don't know how many people were out there touting that as such. I mean, this is stuff that I loved my first or second time watching, but it's only now that I realize that I was severely underrating the work he did in 2011, and I point to Pox 2011 as, like,
2: an all-time great run, and I still think I was underrating it. It, it, It's insane, and, you know, we're going to get to a point where, like, I— didn't get a chance to rewatch a lot of the Japanese shows but I am definitely before the end of the feud I'm going to rewatch every single Pack and Ricochet match and just like just because it's one of those things that I think that watching of 2020 eyes really I think that Pack and I said this a couple weeks ago Pack might be the wrestler of the decade of the 2010s and that's taking all of the time off of, of because he left WWE sat at home for 18 months and then you know AEW he came in and he had a he had a solid end of 2019, and now he's gone again. And I think that he's someone that in 2018, 2019, I thought that he had claims for being the the wrestler of the year. And I'm, you know, I'm looking back at this in 2011. I'm wondering, and it's in the back of my head. I was like, no, because Masaki Mochizuki is insane right now. <laughs> but it it, it 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 goes into your head. It goes into your head. Well,
0: well, specifically when discussing wrestler of the decade. I mean, for me it has to be the non-Okada division, because I just really, I don't I don't think anyone was sure. in Okada's universe, but if you want to remove him from the conversation, I do look at Pac as being on the level of an Ishii, or a Shingo, or a Mochizuki, because the thing that I touted for so long was that once Pac got called up to the main roster, and that's leaving behind the great work he did in NXT, but once he got called up to the main roster... He was the best main roster worker until he left the company. That includes, you know, the matches with John Cena, the matches he had a great Raw match with Seth Rollins, probably one of the last Raws I watched now that I think about it. Uh he had great matches with Kevin Owens. His run as a Cruiserweight Champion was excellent. He was I mean he was great on 205 live while he was there. He was consistently in in uh you know week in week out the best worker on the WWE main roster and then he left comes comes to Dragon Gate becomes wrestler of the year at least in our books and then you know obviously uh, we were on the cusp of Death Triangle which I can only dream about how good that would have been in my AEW Tew save uh. Pac won the world title at All Out 2020 and has held the title for 18 months now. Uh, No one can compete with Pac in my universe. And it all starts like he really just uh, becomes otherworldly in 2011.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this is a match really worth going out of your way for. I'm a little bit higher on the – I think I might be higher. No, we're going to get to matches on the show that I'm, I'm not a big fan of. Never mind. I just looked at what, what we're going to be talking about next. So, <laughs> Well, explain this this abomination of a post-match angle. Why don't you? Yeah, like that's the thing about the show is that we're three matches in. We have two matches that, at least in my books, are either notebook or verging on notebook level. A decent little squash and then like Brody Lee stuff that's, you know, we, we've talked about enough. And we're going to talk more about Brody Lee again. Because Blood Warriors attack and lay out Pac, Ricochet says that he will prove that he's the best high flyer, and then they set him up on the outside, which actually was the cool part of it. They're like, I'm going to prove I'm the best high flyer, and then Ricochet decides to pop a space flying tiger draw. So that's the part
0: that fucking ruled. That is the storytelling that I love in wrestling, and I think it's so dumb that companies don't have high flyers adapt to that version of storytelling lost my mind for ricochet essentially hitting a cocky space flying tire drop because he could and then what happens mike
2: ronan comes out for a save why were they saving a pack uh, don't I know guess really be- don't know i mean we-, we saw last night how uh chuck taylor is very anti-junction three and he still was coming out for a save and they did triple dives why was johnny gargano Doing a dive right before he was about to have, where he was going to be on deck, coming after the next match. Don't know. And then, uh, then Duf comes out and they triple suplex, uh, Pinky Sanchez. And then Sabu runs out and completely botches a dive. And pockens this up with an Orihara moonsault. Oh yeah, Air Fox does a dive in the middle of this too. Yeah. So, Why?
0: So so it's I don't a know. it's a. Ronan dive, an AR Fox dive, a DUF suplex, which I actually thought that was creative. That was uh, Eric Cannon almost blew out his ACL doing it, but it was creative in the sense that they suplexed Pinky Sanchez onto everyone. And then, what I don't understand is, and it is clear coming out of the show and the next five shows that occur throughout the year, I guess the next four Mm -hmm. shows, how much Gabe Sapolsky loves Sabu. More power to him. Yep. But if you're go- if you're gonna book Sabu to show up and do a big dive spot, why did he just jog down the entrance ramp? Why did the lights not go out? And Sabu show up in the middle of the ring with his finger pointed at the sky? Like they couldn't even do the Sabu debut right. I don't understand how they messed that up when it is clearly Gabe's focus from here on out is Sabu, 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 and he botches the debut.
2: And this is a carnal sin. Like, Sabu is a carnal sin of this promotion because there'll be a plight of Sabu through WrestleMania in 2012. Like the, and that's a lot of shows. That's like a we're lot talking of about. Like, we're talking about the five shows in the rest of this year, and then was there a, I believe there was a January set shows. Yeah. The, the, yeah, Well, there's a, a
0: January single shot, but Sabu's not on that, on that show.
2: Yeah. But then you have like that through WrestleMania ne- next year. Sabu is a huge misstep here. How the promotion suddenly all becomes about Sabu. Like Sabu. And when we go through like the news wires, the news bulletins, the news express, whatever the fuck he called it. Sorry, I, I was good one <laughs> week about not cussing this week. Sabu, that's a self-imposed rule. That's your rule. You can do whatever you want, Mike. Yeah, Sabu comes out, and then we start the. Uh, it's just hideous. It's it's completely like does not make sense. Does Sabu really push the tickets in 2012? We're really at a situation where you do not trust your promotion. They had to bring in Sabu for this long. Who? It's Sabu in 2012. He is not good. Like, I know there's a lot of people who like, oh, yeah, it's Sabu, he owns, he owns. No, he doesn't. He doesn't own 2012. He's a shell of who he was. And who he was was someone I think is one of the most overrated high flyers of all time. So,
0: uh, i I'm, I'm not ready to take that step. I am going to push back a little bit. I was going to ask you what you thought about Sabu historically, because for me, and, and I don't know how it came across the hardcore fan at the time, but I know... My wrestling viewing started in in early 2006, and I was so on board with the sci-fi beginning of ECW, the, the reincarnation. I was so excited about that as a kid, because however they marketed it, it worked for me, and specifically... I thought Sabu was the coolest dude ever when he showed up on WWE TV. My favorite wrestlers growing up was like Rey Mysterio, Paul London, and Brian Kendrick, and Sabu. That's who was over with me. And I became an immediate fan as soon as I saw him. I remember specifically hunting down the Sabu action figure. That was like a huge thing for me to get. And then a few years later, you know, I went back and watched all this ECW stuff. I mean, that was when I got back into wrestling, just because of the availability of it. Because at the time, all of the WWE-produced ECW documentaries were available on Netflix. So I went through, like, a whole thing of watching the the greatest hits of ECW. And my love of Sabu held up then. And then you go through the post-ECW years and the post-WWE run... And we hit 2011 Sabu, and I'm just not crazy about that. And I think his output was personified in the Eric Cannon and Pinky Sanchez versus AR Fox and Sabu match.
2: It's just, I'm maybe like, in ECW in 2006, I was like, okay, that's cool, whatever. You know, like, at that age. But then then again, at that age also, I was mostly on the outs of wrestling, and then I got really back in during college as I also got super into dragon gate you know like that was when i really started getting to shakar and dragon gate so i really didn't have a need to go seek out uh sabu and then whenever we watch ecw i'm like okay he's there like time and place with the guy i respect that but we had air fox and sabu defeat eric cannon and pinky sanchez when air fox has a 450 on top of a table that's laid across of pinky sanchez uh <laughs> i'm trying to think of like how to tackle this match uh This is probably, uh, from what I remember, the high point of this feud, (laughs) and it kind of goes downhill from here. I went two and and three quarters. You know, like, for what it was, like, the finish got me back into it. It just was like, how this turned into, like, a straight tag match of no DQ when you had Sabu there makes zero sense to me. Like, why did they work like a straight tag match instead of, like, a brawl that ended with, like, a crazy spot? Like we have like yes. these guys. So that, that's exactly what sense. I was
0: going to say was I went two and three quarters with the note being. It's really weird to think that they worked this match like a Southern style tag where AR Fox gets beaten down and then Sabu makes a hot tag. And then as soon as Sabu makes the tag, he goes in all the weapon spots and the match breaks down. But the majority of this match is like a structured tag team match. And it just made no sense.
2: It made no sense. Um, the finishing stretch was cool. I thought like the, like using the plunder and then like reusing the table and go like you you really try to hurt me I'm fucking you up with this broken table was kind of neat I thought that was kind of cool but it was a weird match you know not a huge fan of it
0: yeah no it's I mean uh, unfortunately well I I think there was a I think and I could be wrong I think there's a Sabu match coming up that was critically acclaimed at the time but there are no members of the DUF involved so we will cross that bridge when we come to it.
2: We will, we will. Uh, we had a WWN live promo, and then we had a Johnny Gargano video package. Which I had to remind myself that the Indianapolis show was not on view. so this covered like oh, and this I assume this is something he put out on YouTube. I I don't even know if like the WWN live YouTube exists after the uh, WWE acquisition. It does. So I don't know. It does. It does. It's you
0: but know the th- most reliable place to find Drangit USA content, quite honestly.
2: Yeah. So. Uh, This video, it talks about his path of his uh, history in Dragon Gate USA, his eras, as he put it. It was really well done, and then I realized, wait, this is like a five-minute video that they put together (laughs) for this. And I was like, at the end of it, I was like, okay, all right, okay, all right. But, you know, it was really effective. And if it's something that you're, like, trying to watch, like, early history of Johnny Gargano, if this is on the DGUSA YouTube, it's worth doing, but it's not worth having a five-minute interlude. I guess it was, like, used as part of an intermission. For uh a show like this is something that like if this was like two minutes, totally cool, makes sense, but how this thing felt like it dragged towards the end of it, or that just might be me being cranky while watching it
0: no, no, it was so here's here's the frustrating part. It is such a well done video on the same show that is occurring in near pitch black conditions with a live mic that won't work. they're able to produce this video package. It's so frustrating that it's the same company, but you are right, it's a five minute package that realistically probably needs to go three and a half, but it, I will, it is effort being put into the product. So I'm not going to complain about it.
2: And it makes sense. And at this point, everyone watching this and following along should know Gargano's the next guy. Like they've done an excellent job of like, this is Johnny Gargano's quest to the title. And it's continues with Akira Tozawa defeating Johnny Gargano in 20 minutes and 32 seconds with the uh, straight jacket German suplex. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Well, I'm curious.
0: What was your star rating here?
2: Three and three quarters.
0: Okay, so we we flip flopped on the Pac and Ricochet and Tozawa versus Gargano match. I went four and a quarter. Yeah. I'm surprised you. I get, I mean, it's you know, it's whatever. Three and three quarters is fine. I'm just. I'm surprised you weren't as high on this as I was. Historically, this was their second singles match. They wrestled at AIW's Lit tournament in May. I believe that match is up for free on YouTube, and then, you know, they have this match, and I'm really conflicted about it, because it is a great match, I mean, it is a level above what we've seen Gargano work at, it's obviously, it's Tozawa, he's been killing it all all 2011, um, there's just, a, I mean, there's a ton of great moves in this match. The bicycle kick and the German on the apron. Uh, Tozawa starts going for a dive train and gets interrupted with the rope-assisted spear that Gargano does. That to- was really cool. Tozawa gets cut open in the match; it's like his ears bleeding. Um, there's another great moment where Gargano goes for a poison rana and Tozawa just throws him off of his shoulders and then hits a bridging German suplex and then he gets the capture German for the win. But the issue is that we just saw this video package with Johnny Gargano and how he is the next guy and I understand why they're positioning him like that and I agree with it. But he loses every big match he's in. He lost the United Gate Tag Titles match. He lost the Mercury Rising Six Man. He's lost twice to Shima in a singles match. I understand that he he submitted both Shima and Ares but the dude keeps losing. I don't get it.
2: Yeah, no. It's something where... I mean... Gabe, I at the time it was kind of like frustrating. It's like, oh no, Gargano's going to be the guy. Gargano's going to be the guy. He, this is going to happen. This is going to be this happening. But it felt like he was like dipping the toe in the water, and he had the whole thing of Chuck Taylor at the same time saying, "No, I'm going to be the guy." Which was, I feel like, if they were going to tell one story, they should should they should have picked uh, Taylor and Gargano both gunning for the top. Like they seemed like that. That's a story that would have played out a lot better. My issue with this match was the crowd was dead. The crowd at this point after Sabu the crowd was super dead and, and never really picks up for the rest of the show. And uh, yes, I, I think that's... That like this,
0: a, oh, go, go ahead. Sorry.
2: I was gonna, for a match like this that goes 20 minutes long and is very much built on, like, you're trying to get... Like, Tazawa is a known commodity at this point. Like, like this is not Akira Tozawa of 2010. This is 2011, Akira is gonna murder you, Akira Tozawa. and And as we talked about earlier, on the biggest run of his career at this point. Like, he is getting... He is like owning Shingo Takagi in singles matches. Him and Yamato has been back and forth. So I mean, he's he he's a main event guy, but the crowd cannot get behind the idea of the young up and comer trying to go up against this established guy because all the all the things that you mentioned, I have every single one of those written in my notebook <laughs> as like awesome moments because the finishing stretch, like going for the going for the poison on it and Suzawa slides out grabs him does one german suplex does not get the pin there and immediately goes for the straight jacket and wins awesome closing stretch but the crowd was dead and at this certain point and the crowd never comes back and that's like the thing that like if the crowd was like more into it like the jay lit match that's a that would be a four star four and a quarter maybe verging on four and a half star match in my book but with how it was and the match that they had that day from that crowd it was three and three quarters
0: I will say this now before we get to the match. I noticed the dead crowd more so in the main event rather than this match. I think, oh, yeah. I think the. And I, I, you know, we'll talk about it in just a second. I like the main event a lot. I actually, I love the main event, but it was noticeable that the crowd was not super into it. But before we get to that, there's another match to talk about.
2: Well, there's also another announced DVD release. It's Mercury Rising this time. So he's gone from being eight months behind to now being five months behind. So. You know they're they're saying good. He's saying good about this kind of stuff. Yeah, congrats. I, 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 th- th- this is my own personal obsession. I apologize, Casey. Well, no, I'll no, no I'm, i I was this. the
0: one that initially brought it up. I'm glad you've taken the reins on this and care about it as much as I do. Quite honestly.
2: Yeah. So then we have the four way fray that was talked about. Or sorry, four way freestyle. It's not a fray match. It's a freestyle. <laughs> Those are different things. <laughs> in please, please, Mike.
0: It's a freestyle, not a fray. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, 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 this series is three matches. Actually, the third match is two <laughs> matches together. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I. Whenever I think about that, I laugh, uh, and the, and that's what I that kind of remind me of. So it's four way freestyle, representing the four stables: Chuck Taylor of Ronin, Masato Yoshino of Junction Three, Naruki Toy of Blood Warriors, and Sammy Callahan of DUF. Taylor gets the win on Callahan in ten minutes and eighteen seconds with the awful waffle, and I like how my first note. I love how Doi and Yoshino vetted their way into treating this like an off night.
0: <laughs> it's funny they treated this as an off night, and I still thought they were the best parts of the match. The Doi Yoshino interactions are. were great, and there's a great. There's I'm gonna. I have two notes on commentary here. One when this match starts. Gabe Sapolsky comes in the booth and yells that Sabu is going to be in Milwaukee. I'm sorry. Jimmy Bauer yells dangerous that Sabu is going to be in Milwaukee. Fuck off with that. I cannot believe he did that. But there's uh, another thing a few minutes later where Doi and Yoshino are in the ring. And it's a great wrestling commentary moment where uh, Doi offers Yoshino a handshake. And Linny is like, well... Well, don't shake that. He turned his back on you. Naruki Doi caused upheaval in two countries by turning on Masada Yoshino. (laughs) It's just one of those things that I really like about the idea of, like, Americans being pissed at Naruki Doi. Like, he did what to Masada Yoshino? And it was just a
2: nice Lenny Leonard moment. (laughs) Ah, Lenny, the MVP of Dragon Gate USA. (laughs) Oh,
0: it's not even close.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, like the, this was a Doi Yoshi singles match that had Chuck Taylor and Sam Callahan come in at certain moments and like, then get just and then have the finish. Some spots, but it was mainly Doi and Yoshino just being really good at wrestling, <laughs> being really good at wrestling and being really good at being like, "Oh, y'all do all the heavy parts. We'll come in at the end and do our like two minute stretch, and then you two do your finish."
0: And that was uh, a t- Taylor pinning Callahan with the awful waffle. Which gives Ronan the advantage to book whatever match they want, which leads into yet another post match angle.
2: Yep, something that was Chuck at least projects, so other microphones picked up on him. He said that Ronan's coming for all the belts and that Swan and Gargano are going for the United belts. So I guess he made the match for the two of them to go over and take the twin, take the tag team titles, which, you know, pretty sneaky idea there because that means you can have the advantage of trying to go after your motto there, Chuck. Like, I thought that that was actually a pretty cunning thing. Then Brody Lee comes in and Chuck and Yoshino lay them out. Yoshino says, anytime. And then Chuck lays out Yoshino just like the night before. And Rich Swan, yet again, is the man in the middle.
0: I love what they're doing with Swan. I love what they're doing with Ronan, actually. I think Taylor and Gargano butting heads is really interesting, too. Why did Brody Lee need to come out to get beat up? I don't understand that at all. He he just, he ran in the ring, and Taylor and Yoshino kicked him out of the ring. What purpose did that serve? This is a guy that, again, if I had it my way, he'd be challenging Yamato for the Open the Freedom Gate title, and instead, he's getting in sloppy brawls with UHA Nation, and then running it and getting his ass kicked by Chuck Taylor. The mismanagement of Brody Lee is abhorrent.
2: Case? Is it? Is it a cardinal sin?
0: It's, I, it's tough to say. It's, I, I, need, I need to sit on that a little bit, but at least locate your Expo marker in case it needs to go on the whiteboard. I, I will hypothesize about this idea. I heard the Expo marker there. I will at least <laughs> hypothesize about the idea, and four shows from now when Brody Lee says farewell, I will give you an
2: answer. I will remind you this at the end of the 2011 shows. In Please. Time. <laughs> it, is, it is on the whiteboard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, boy. I love making the whiteboard. Well, I, I don't know about your whiteboard. I do know that this, this main event made my spreadsheet. What, how did you feel about Yamato versus Shima for the Open the Freedom Gate title?
2: This is pretty much like the most on-brand thing for me. Three and a half stars. It's a they did a dreamgate match against a dead crowd when Yamato is like s- suddenly lost all of his charisma because he's wearing the green tights.
0: <laughs> it is you're exactly right. It is a dreamgate structure of a match, which I'm a fan of because by the end of it. I was going, holy shit, Shima is so good. But you're right. There's like you know a, a six or seven minute portion there where it's not the most exciting match. The crowd's not into it. It's an interesting point in their career where they were one, one, and one in in non young boy singles matches because Shima killed Yamato, but he still had his last name and his name wasn't capitalized. But but after that, they were one, one, and one. This was you know the rubber match of of. Uh, Their careers up to this point. They only had one more singles match after this. And I really like this match. It is really stiff. Uh, Yamato works over Shima's leg a ton. Shima does a great job of selling it. And then down the stretch, when Shima is building momentum... But at the same time, selling the leg is where he really, really shines. And specifically, he it's a big meteor on Yamato. It comes across like it could be the finish, but Shima has to stop. He has to check on his leg. He's too hurt to make the immediate cover. Yamato kicks He's out. He's screaming. Yamato kicks out. And then with that, Yamato is able to recover, battle back, hit the Galleria for the win. It is, in, in the same way that we have our Gentleman's Three... This is a Gentleman's Four. I recognize what they were doing was great. The live crowd just did not care about it.
2: The crowd after intermission did not care about the show, and it actively hampered the show a whole ton. And as I said, like, I liked, and it was something that at least those seven minutes of the slow opening Dreamgate match that began to loathe out of Yamato paid off at the end because Shima was cognizant of selling the knee. Because after that meteora, it was one of, the, like, when Shima really hits a guy with a meteora and they sell it like death, the meteora is one of the coolest moves in wrestling. And it's such a simple move. You're jumping off the top rope, and you're kneeing the guy, and you're saying, I'm going to pin your your shoulders to my net with my knees. I'm going to come in at full force, and it's going to knock all the air out of you, and it's going to look brutal. It looks great. And the idea that he hits one of those really clean meteoras and then immediately rolls off him. He's not able to capture the legs on the way down because his knees are hurting that bad. was an incredible moment. And then they did like this really cool counter where Yamato goes to the Dojima Sleeper a lot in this match. Like At a certain point, he was like, I'm just going to choke this guy out. This guy is just annoying me, and I know I could choke him out. I am an MMA guy. This guy's not an MMA guy. I could choke him out. And Shima converts that into a swine that looks awesome. And then the, the, the sleeper stuff, like, weakens Shima to a certain point. They they do the, the three-arm thing, which I kind of hate in this match for this. I think, like, you, the referee should just step in and call it, if that's the case. Because it kind of, like, hampers the finishing stretch, because the finishing stretch is he basically, when Shima does not go to sleep, he's like, oh, you're weakened enough. Kick, brain buster, put the, uh, for a two-count, all right, start with the sleeper, drop you down, Galleria, ball game. And it's something that with the crowd, with, like, all this, it's hard for me to get up on this. I totally understand, like, vacuum four-star match that this could be, but for me, in the show that was presented here, in front of that crowd, it's a three-and-a-half-star match.
0: I think that's completely fair, it's and it's unfortunate that the crowd wasn't into really the second half of the show, but I think this match in particular, because if you eliminate the Sabu match for the show, this is a great Drangate USA show, but it, oh, yeah. there's a noticeable before and after uh, we'll call it the BS era, the before Sabu and the after Sabu. There is a grave difference in not only this show, but just the vibe of the promotion.
2: Yep, we will be talking about this on the next. The, the, this might be like the, the period of doing the showcase where like, each week I'm like, well, I'm going to sit through a Sabu thing <laughs> and I'm going to need like a pep talk. I'm going to give myself a pep talk. I'll be staring in the mirror, splash water on my face. be like, you're going to get through this. You're already like at this point get through the Sabu stuff and there's the, clo- the facing stretch because then you have 2013 and then the beginning of 2014 and that's it Mike you can do this but this Sabu stretch is going to be tough for me because just not my guy and I understand you could at me about this didn't grow up in the ECW area didn't wasn't the, the ECW WWE thing never really worked for me so I am like that outlier here and that really brought down the show however finishing the show Shima grabbed the microphone stared down Yamato and said Hulk is coming back. He He's coming back for a no-ropes match and and just, like, makes this thing like the idea that now BB Hulk, who's been basically out of the company or out of the promotion for basically, like, as soon as he dropped the title and, and a little bit after he, uh, hanging out with Homicide, that was it. Hulk <laughs> has been gone for a long period of time. And we, about, and we talked about this when this happened. Hulk disappearing because he had come back a completely different character to this and a, this really got over the idea that like BB Hulk now is this monster and he's coming in for this. And Yamato said he's not faced because he's a fighting champion and he's and he will be the only champion and he's okay with that. So anytime, any place. And then he gives a this might be like the most like Yamato is ever on the mic by himself in front of American audience. He does a pretty solid promo like getting that over and closes out with a DGUSA call. And I thought this was a really effective post match thing.
0: Yeah, no, really good segment to end. And then, Mike, if you're ready, I think we are ready to close out this show and preview what is coming next week on Way of the Ronin 2011.
2: Well, we're going to be back in Milwaukee. I know that for sure.
0: That is true. At the uh, Miramar Theater, where we will see the conclusion of the Tag Team Discovery Tournament as the scene takes on Ronin of Chuck Taylor and Rich Swan, We'll have Silas Young and Brody Lee going at it. What has become a Mike Spears dream match in John Davis versus Akira Tozawa. And Yes, <laughs> I am stoked. Let's go. Let's go. Well, settle down, because from there we go with uh, A.R. Fox and Yamato against Callahan and Cannon. A singles match between Sabu and Piki Sanchez. Fuck you, Gabe Sapolsky. A four-way freestyle Sugar Dunkerton facade, Flip Kendrick and Uha Nation. Naruki Doi versus Johnny Gargano with a singles match. And then a historic Open the United Gate versus Open the Twin Gate winner-take-all match. Shima and Ricochet versus Masato Yoshino and Pac. That is what is coming up next week.
2: I am not letting those matches that happen after really like malign akira Tizawa versus john davis it's your guys i'm ready <laughs> it's my guys we get U-ha. i hope we get another great umaha promo like gargano versus doi doi's the mayor of Milwaukee. walkie <laughs> <That's> <right.
0: laughs>
2: there's a lot of this show that i like, sink my teeth into even though i'm like looking at like that middle segment i'm like oh There's even Facade I had to sit through. That's right.
0: You have Facade and Sabu. This is a tough
2: card. And they're back-to-back. That is a rough section for us. That's going to be a half hour where afterwards, like, I'm going to get through it. I'm a a strong person. I can get through these shows. You can do it. I can get through this. I'm right now looking at the cage match thing, which I don't usually put a lot of stock in a cage match ratings. It has two ratings, 2011-8, 2012 five for what is this the show rating oh, on Cage oh Match. there's only, there's only <laughs> two votes eight and a five
0: yeah that that's that's fair that's fair well th- that i mean th- those rings are doing a lot of work there.
2: <laughs> a lot of work there
0: i will say i was gravely concerned with the amount of japan news and notes that we had that this show is going to go uh a very very long but we're right at just about 90
2: minutes and mike i don't have anything else all right, so I'll take us in for a landing. Thank you all for Land listening. The plane. You know, <laughs> we are landing the plane here. Uh, thank you all for listening and joining us on this series. Uh, this has been probably one of like, my big highlights of the, this year, especially if COVID doing this each week, rediscovering this with Case. And I hope that y'all, it, as much as I feel maligned by Sabu and DOF and Facade, I hope y'all are as enjoying this as much as I am, because this has been an absolute blast as I – just talking about about, uh, about John Davis was a like, character. That was put a path to my step case, so <laughs> I'm stoked. Thank you all for listening. You can follow the podcast account at Open Voice Gate. You can follow me on Twitter at Fujihea. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. And that's going to do it for this episode of Open the Voice Gate Rewind and Rewatch. We'll be back with you next week in Milwaukee with the mayor of Milwaukee, Naruki Doi. Take care, everyone.